Hey everyone, welcome back to Attention to Detail. We've got a special episode for you today. We're taking a little break from our reviews, our spark note reviews of each act of The Ring to examine another very famous story saga involving a ring, The Lord of the Rings from J.R.R. Tolkien. And today we're actually going to be talking about not only the the plot of The Lord of the Rings and the books, but also the movies, the Peter Jackson movies, because not only are the movies pretty fun to watch and a great, uh, nice little 10, 11 hour diversion during quarantine, but also they have some fantastic music and actually the music by Howard Shore shares some very close similarities with the music of The Ring. So we're going to talk all about that today, maybe nerd out a little bit on some Lord of the Rings trivia. And to do so, I am joined by the uh, resident Lord of the Ring expert in our particular household here in quarantine, backed by popular demand on the podcast, my brother Josh, who is making, I think, a third appearance on the podcast. This is my third. So welcome back. And today we're actually, we're delving into areas that you know more than I do about, because we have uh, brought you on to talk about The Lord of the Rings. Yup, they're some of my favorite movies, absolutely, and the books I am a big fan of as well. I, I read the books when I was a kid, um, and you know, they, I, I kind of want to read them again because they're more tailored for younger adults, and I read them kind of when I was much younger, so I think a lot of stuff went over my head, but they really are still some of my favorite books and my favorite movies. Well, we used it as an excuse. We, preparing for this episode, we also used that as an excuse to, wa- to watch, you know, the entire extended version of the, the movie version of The Lord of the Rings. So we spent a, a nice 11 hours going through these movies. And if anything, we are using this episode just as an excuse to rewatch those movies, I'd say. Absolutely. Yeah, it's we have the time now, so we might as well use it for a good good purpose. So do us a little favor. We've been reviewing the ring and give us just a little for those I'm sure most of our listeners or at least some of our listeners will be very familiar with the plot of the Lord of the Rings. Um, certainly a more well-known plot, I think, in in mainstream society than that of the ring cycle, but and give us a review of just kind of the main themes and main plot points of The Lord of the Rings. Quick crash course for those listeners who aren't so familiar. Okay, so the basic plot of Lord of the Rings centers on this guy named Frodo Baggins, who is um, a hobbit, 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 hobbit um, which is a race of Middle Earth. We'll probably get to that later. Um, and he kind of comes upon this ring, which was a possession of his uncle, Bilbo. Um, and it turns out that this ring is very powerful and very dangerous, um, and it was a ring that was forged by someone named Sauron, who is an evil wizard, um, a very, very, very old evil wizard, so the ring is very ancient. Um, and it turns out that if Sauron gets his hands on this ring, he'll be able to take over Middle-earth, and everyone will kind of be subject to his um, domination and his power. So Frodo has to go on a journey um, to destroy this ring of power, um, and he goes with multiple companions um, to destroy this ring in Mordor because the ring has to be destroyed where it was formed at this place called Mount Doom um, in the evil land of Mordor. Um, So he goes on a journey and eventually um, they destroy this ring of power. Can you talk a little bit about how the ring is originally created in, in the Lord of the Rings? Yeah, so it was originally created by this 
evil wizard Sauron at this um, place called Mount Doom, um, which is which is again in this evil land called Mordor. Um, and so because it was forged there, it has to be destroyed at that mountain. Um, and yeah, that, that's how the ring is created. It yeah. must be destroyed. And it gets taken from him by a seri- this guy, Isildur, and then like mm-hmm. it, it goes through the hands of many people. And so the ring is stolen from its original place in the world and has to be returned there. Yes. Which is the central plot of the ring cycle as well. So just there already we have a few parallels. The idea that there's a ring of power that corrupts everybody that holds it. And the central idea of the ring cycle is that this ring, the only way to set the world right again is to return this ring to the place it was created and overcome the power or the curse that it holds over people and destroy it. And so we've seen that in our reviews of the ring is that there is this ring of power that corrupts people in the ring cycle and it's a challenge to actually destroy it because no one wants to give it up. So a couple details about the the plot of The Lord of the Rings as they pertain to uh, the ring cycle. Can you tell us a little bit about the character of Gollum, a very another very important character in the the Lord of the Rings saga? Yeah, so Gollum is one of the um, characters that that has possession of the ring at a time in his life, and so um, he actually kills his brother, um, who finds the ring initially, and he kills his brother and takes possession of the ring, um, conceivably because the ring has taken power over him when he when he sees it, and so he kills his brother to get it. Um, but then he kind of gets driven mad and becomes a hermit and, um, you know, stays in his cave, totally consumed by the power of this ring for many, many years. Um, and he is also becomes kind of a central character in this saga because he wants the ring back um, because the it has consumed him. So he follows Frodo and eventually kind of becomes, you know, one of their leaders into Mordor. And he actually turns out to be the one who inadvertently destroys the ring in the books. He um, follows them all the way to Mount Doom, um, steals the ring right as Frodo's about to cast it into the fire, but then he trips into the fires and dies. But in the movie, it's uh, a little bit more of a climax, a little bit cooler moment, but um, Frodo pushes him into the flames as he's stolen it um, from him. But either way, he's a guy who's very important, totally consumed by the ring. His only aim is to get the ring back. Um, yeah, and, and he's a, he's a very interesting character. Yeah. So we have in the ring cycle, there are two very, there are two characters who, who track closely with the character of Gollum in the Lord of the Rings. We first have this dwarf Alberic, who we remember from the very beginning is the one who steals the ring. He's kind of this ugly, impish character like Gollum and he renounces love in you know to to steal this ring from the Rhine maidens they say only people someone who renounces love can have this ring so he's the one who actually steals the ring which is not quite the same as Gollum but he's got a lot of the same traits and then he's also the one who puts the curse actually on the ring so that's a little different from from Lord of the Rings but Alberic is kind of tracks on the similar path to Gollum and then there's also this character, there's like two characters that blend into Gollum because we also have the character of Fafner who, if we'll remember, he's one of the two giants who gets paid the ring initially and he's immediately consumed by the power of this ring and he ends up clubbing his brother Fasolt to death. And so this beginning scene of the last movie of Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, 
where Smeagol or Gollum, this character you were talking about, chokes his brother to death. That is straight out of the ring cycle. We, we may remember that scene from Das Rheingold. And so Gollum is kind of a blending of two characters, two char- maybe even three characters, because Alberic's son, we haven't met him yet in our reviews, but he comes in the last opera of Götterdamrung. His name is Hagen. And a little spoiler alert, I don't want to ruin too much of the plot of the ring on this episode, but he ends up throwing himself into the Rhine as the ring is destroyed, jumping after the ring. And so it's a very similar scene to Gollum being thrown into Mount Doom and perishing along with the ring. So I also wanted to ask you one more plot uh, question before we get into the music, but tell me a little bit about Aragorn and... Aragorn, the sword that Aragorn has and forges, and this world of men that Aragorn is kind of in charge of. What are the traits of of the race of men in in the Lord of the Rings? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Aragorn is um, he's kind of in the line of Isildur, which means that he is in line to be one of the kings of Gondor, and Gondor is this realm of men um, that is very near to Mordor. Um, and so Aragorn, the, he is, he's described as a ranger at the start. He's kind of someone who's not, um, you know, super well known. And he turns in eventually to become the king of Gondor, um, which is the, you know, as I said, the, the realm of men. But he, um, he's given this sword, um, which is the sword of Isildur. And that sword is actually the sword that cut the ring from Sauron's hand initially many many years ago and so that was how Sauron initially lost his power was from the sword um, of Isildur Um, and Isildur actually is one of the people who possessed the ring for a short period of time and he also was consumed by the ring's power and eventually met his demise because of it Um, and so there the the race of men is seen as a very corruptible um, very easily consumed by power um, not very rational, um, and and Aragorn is one of those who's slightly more rational than general, you know, the general con- general stereotype of men in this in this saga. Yeah, so it's an interesting because Aragorn is a little bit like our our main character of Siegfried. It's it's a our protagonists are slightly different in these two plots because there's no real there's no real Frodo in the Ring cycle. But Siegfried is kind of like this character of Aragorn, and Aragorn actually, there's this scene in the movies where he reforges that sword, and the exact same thing, there's this very important sword in the ring cycle, which our listeners might remember, uh, Zygmunt, Siegfried's father, pulls it out of this tree, it was left there by Wotan, it gets split in half by Wotan, um, and now... Uh, Siegfried is going to reforge it in the next opera, and that's going to be an important moment. And so that the the this, the importance of a sword also tracks from from the Ring Cycle to Lord of the Rings, and also Siegfried we'll see in the next opera. He's a flawed hero. He's kind of one of these from this world of mortal men who's easily corruptible, and we will see his arrogance, his kind of um, his his. Uh, easily corruptible mind on display in the next two operas. All right, so with that, uh, we want to talk a little bit now about the music, both of the Ring Cycle, which we won't deal with that so much because we've been covering it, but also the music to the movies of The Lord of the Rings because it's actually a really interesting soundtrack. So 
we just listened, we just watched all three uh, movies. Josh, what were your general impressions of the soundtrack now that we were watching with this kind of ear for the music that was actually going on? Yeah, it was, I mean, it, obviously with any movie, the soundtrack is a crucial element of it, but in, in Lord of the Rings, it's, it's very interesting. They have a lot of themes... Um, you know, every place that you go and many important objects have a theme. Um, and it's cool to track those themes kind of in the background. A lot of times they'll show up. Um, and, and, and overall it's just has a lot of great epic music in it, which is really awesome. And the, and during the battles, there are always great, um, you know, great lead ups and climaxes when you, when you, when you most need it. Yeah. Well, one thing that I noticed from watching the movies is that, like the actual ring cycle, like you said, there are these epic moments of music, these big like panoramic shots where it kind of nothing is actually happening in the plot, but we get like an orchestral interlude. And those are some of the best moments in the movies, I find. And the same thing happens in the ring. There are these moments of orchestral interludes that for me are the the best parts. They're like these sweeping, epic orchestral moments. And then you go back to some some plot. But I think you mentioned something else that's really important because, interestingly, the composer of the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, Howard Shore, clearly was also influenced by the music of Wagner because he used a very similar thematic and leitmotivic system to construct the soundtrack to the Lord of the Rings, just like Wagner did um, in the opera, The Ring Cycle. And so I've, I think I've touched on it before in our reviews of The Ring Cycle that this system of leitmotifs and themes that Wagner developed was very revolutionary. And it actually, it turns out that a lot of movie composers, along with operatic composers, have since used this system because it's so effective and it works so well. So we should distinguish maybe between the ideas because they come up in in the Lord of the Rings soundtrack and in the ring, the, the, the distinguish between the ideas of themes and leitmotifs. And I think, Josh, you would say that you probably, you probably got an appreciation for this as we were listening through. Can you explain to me, as we were talking about it, what you, how those kind of differ in the, um, in the Lord of the Rings soundtrack? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously before watching these movies, I was kind of a little bit confused as to the, to the distinction, but I was able to watch and kind of see that a theme generally is just played um, to, to signify that, um, you know, someone's here. So for example, like the theme of the Shire is used as a leitmotif and as a theme, but when they are in the Shire, they'll play the Shire theme and that's kind of more of a theme but when they're talking about the Shire and Mordor or something, you might hear the Shire in the background. And that is kind of more of a leitmotif for me. It kind of signals something in the background. It's a little bit more veiled, whereas the theme is um, right in your face. This, is, this person or this something is here, so its theme is there. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good... And the Shire is an example of one that does both. And there are a lot in the Lord of the Rings that are just um, themes, like this, there's the theme of Gondor, there's the theme of Mordor. We watched all of the movies and tracked the soundtrack, and those aren't really like vague concepts as much as themes, and so you hear them when something, when Mordor is actually on the screen, or when an orc is actually on the screen, or when someone from Gondor is speaking. So 
the Lord of the Rings soundtrack uses way more what I would consider way fewer what I would consider light motifs than Wagner. Wagner has probably um, there are there are some themes in Wagner that we mainly only hear associated with like each character has their own what I would call theme. But then there are a lot of light motifs also that deal with concepts, things like fate, destiny, um, the tragedy of the Velsung race, there's deceit, there's um, heroism, there's uh, Wotan's spear, which represents justice. Those are more like concepts, and uh, Wagner uses those all over the place to enhance what a character is saying so that the character might say something that's totally plot related like oh you should walk down the street this way but we might hear the fate motif and we'll know that that's advice that the the ring has led them to give or something like that and that's going to end up badly and there aren't that many actual light motifs that deal with kind of concepts in Lord of the Rings soundtrack I was actually that was one thing I found was surprising was that only a couple of these motifs are used as true light motifs but there are a few but there are also some really great themes that are 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 great music and so Josh I've tasked you the first part of our game here is there are so many themes I've tasked you with choosing your top three themes just in terms of epicness or enjoyability in terms of listening to the music these are the things that get you most riled up when they come on the screen and i have come up with my top three wagner themes to uh to you know compete with your lord of the rings themes so what do you because you i i would venture to guess that you think the lord of the rings soundtrack is better than the ring cycle am i correct in that well i have not i haven't really actually listened to very much of the ring cycle so i can't i can't plausibly say but i am a very very big fan of the lord of the rings soundtrack so it's going to be hard to beat okay so that's in any case let's let's take what's your uh first choice Maybe are we are we gonna rank these or just top three? I, I would say top three because I'm I'm going mainly based on kind of you know as you said epicness. I don't know if that's really a word, but epicness kind of something that wants makes you want to get up and get out of your seat and start jumping around. All right. So um, what's your what's your first choice here? Uh, first choice I would say is the theme of the fellowship. So there is you know a, a very important part of the plot is that there is a fellowship of the ring. So. A number of people from many different races of Middle-earth come together to try to help Frodo bring this ring into Mordor and destroy it. Um, and that that's actually the first book is called The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, and, and, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a very important part of the, the series. And the Fellowship has their theme whenever um, people in the Fellowship kind of come on the screen and they're doing things heroic, you hear this fellowship theme and it's 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 very good got a lot of big brass which is my favorite let's listen to it and this is one that actually comes all over the place and it's associated with like pretty much any character who is in the fellowship and so we hear it it's probably the most first or second most common theme that we hear throughout the soundtrack so here is the fellowship theme
pretty sweet choice, I have to say. That's that's a tough one to beat. That is, I think all of our listeners, anyone who's seen the movie will recognize that. That's a, a pretty epic one. So to uh, offer my first choice of, of a theme that I'm going to throw out here, maybe I'll go with... Um, I'm going to go with the Siegfried theme or leitmotif, which I think sounds very similar in some ways to this Fellowship theme. Very epic. First introduced in Valkyrie, as we heard, when they're, when Siegfried is not even yet born. That's kind of a leitmotivic use of it. We hear that his theme when someone talks about a hero that's going to come and save everything. But in any case, here is Siegfried's theme, which I think sounds kind of like the Fellowship theme and is one of my top three themes from The Ring Cycle. So for me, that's a pretty good one as well. But what do you got for your second epic theme from Lord of the Rings soundtrack? So I think for number two, I'm going to go with Mordor's theme. So this theme is slightly less epic than The Fellowship, but you know it, it's bone chilling. It's re- it makes you really feel that evil's afoot, which is why I love it because Mordor is you know this evil place that um, everyone dreads being near or being in. Um, and it's it's a great theme. It really makes you feel kind of the fear that these that the people going into Mordor are having. Yeah, that's that's our our main qualification or kind of criteria here for what makes a good theme is if it captures the essence of what it's trying to convey. So that's I like the the choice of Mordor here. So here's the the Mordor thing theme from from Lord of the Rings. It's an excellent choice. Definitely evil sounding theme. I'm going to take it a different direction. One of my favorite themes, which also is used as a leitmotif, but it's primarily used as a theme in Wagner, is uh, the Valhalla leitmotif or theme. I love this one just because it's so, it's noble, regal, captures this kind of fortress that Wotan has built and is also, as we've examined, a transformation of the ring motif. I'll, uh, so the ring motif, if our devoted listeners remember, sounds like this. And the Valhalla motif, the top voice goes like this. So it's a major transformation of the same falling and then rising idea. So I love it for multiple reasons, but here's, we'll listen to the Valhalla motif from the ring cycle. So 
So that is a kind of quiet and stoic version, but it also comes like at the end of Rheingold incredibly epically. So it's it's a it's a great, great light motif that appears all over. So your last choice, these are this is a tough choice because there's so many good themes, but what did you go with? For my last one I went with the theme of Isengard, and Isengard is this um kind of fortress of this another evil wizard who's teamed up with Sauron named Saruman um, and he has a lot of these minions called orcs who are his you know his soldiers Um, and every time you hear the Isengard theme you know that either orcs are near or this evil wizard Saruman is near and so something's going down something's gonna happen so it's 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 a really good theme and definitely gets your gets your it gets your adrenaline flowing. Yeah, this is this is one of the best ones. Super epic and uh, imposing. So here's the Isengard theme. All right, so I think watchers avid watchers of the movie will definitely recognize that one as well oh yeah quiz for you josh being a former percussionist tell me what a meter is that theme in Uh, that is a good question it's not a standard one but if you think about the rhythm you were just as we were listening you were playing the kind of bass drum part to that imagine you were being a percussionist how is it grouped? It goes it goes like two, three, so So what would that be? Is that five four? It's in five four. That is an excellent call. It is grouped in groups of five. It goes yum bum 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 over and over. So like Mars from the planets is also in five four, in case anyone was interested. But in any case, great call there. I'm gonna go for my last theme actually. There are so many great themes, but I chose to mirror your Isengard theme here because if you remember from the movies, I was struck. We were watching this scene and they kind of do this like cool cinematic action where they zoom down into this mine and Saruman is down there and it's hot and it's this cave and they're, he's constructing the army of these orcs and it's supposed to be this kind of, it's grimy it's uh, and it's this intense like hot mind scene and the exact same thing happens in uh das rheingold if our listeners will remember there's this scene called the descent into the nibelheim and the nibelheim is this mine where alberic is subjugating his subjects having him build forge this big army all this metal and it actually sounds very similar to the isengard theme i think that howard shore maybe was a little bit taking the leitmotif of the Nibelungs or the Nibelheim when he thought of this Isengard theme. So let's listen to a little bit of that descent into Nibelheim. We'll hear the the motif or theme of the Nibelungs or that's Alberic's race. So here's that that portion of music. So they're classic Wagner fashion, which which Howard Shore does not do nearly as much of, but we actually had two motifs going on at one time there. Wagner has as many as like 
four or five going on at the same time often. But there we had the motif of kind of agitation. Sounds like this. But under that, that bump, 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 that's the motif of the the Nibelungs, and it's this kind of driving rhythm that sounds to me very similar to Isengard. So those are my top three themes. We'll leave it to the listeners to decide what their choices are. Very quickly, were there any kind of honorable mentions? There are so many good themes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I this is not a very epic theme. I'm sure we'll talk about it later in the podcast, but I, I love the theme of the Shire. Uh, very quiet, very pastoral. It's um, it, I, I really enjoy it a lot, even though it's not epic. Um, and then Gondor's theme also is um, pretty epic and pretty pretty fun to hear. Yeah, the Gondor theme for our listeners is the one that goes. It's this kind of horn call mode. Also, the Rohan one is very good. It's true. It's kind of fiddling. The one that goes. A lot of very good themes in the in the uh, Lord of the Rings. But you, you led us into our final segment here because we also want to talk about and kind of track a couple of the actual light motifs that Howard Shore uses in the Lord of the Rings soundtrack because that's the, the real incredible technique that he took from, from the Ring Cycle. And we won't do the mirror image with the Ring Cycle because that's what we're doing in our podcast. But I want to look at two light motifs. The first one that we're going to look at is the light motif. What do you think we should call it? It's not really it's the ring light motif, but it's it's more about a concept. What would you what would you call it? Yeah, so the the ring, I would say it has kind of multiple it has multiple facets of its light motif. So there is a ring taking control of somebody, which is a very uninteresting light motif. It just kind of sounds like someone's like scraping a chalkboard yeah, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, so that one is different, but the ring, the ring theme that we're talking about right now, I think it's it's more kind. Of, it's very ominous, and it's just I'm not even really sure how to describe what it, what it's feeling. You just know that it kind of it has something to do with the ring, and it's sort of the burden of the ring that it has placed on the people of you know the the people who have it and the people who are around the ring. Yeah, so maybe maybe actually if we just talk through some of the moments when this comes up, we can actually figure out what this light motif is meant to to represent. So, first let's actually listen to it just to have it in our ears. This is probably the most recognizable theme from all of the soundtrack. Anyone who has seen the movies will probably recognize this this ring theme. It's what starts the first movie off after all. All right, so there is the ring motif. A lot of us probably recognize that. Interesting little note about that, actually. We already heard the Mordor motif, which, as you'll remember, sounded like this. And if we notice the pattern of the ring motif, it's... So it's actually 
they start with the same head of that that half step over and over and over. So that's a technique that Howard Shore is using here, which Wagner used all the time of transforming these motifs based on their similarity. So clearly there's a connection between Mordor and the ring, and so their motifs are are very similar. So I think that's a, a moment of genius from, from Howard Shore. But in any case, that's the ring motif. And so Josh and I, your diligent servants here, tracked the pattern of this light motif across the three movies. So tell us a little bit about uh, where this motif actually comes. So a lot of times it comes when people are talking about the ring. Um, sometimes it comes when they are directly looking at it or seeing it. Um, but 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 it comes a lot kind of. I think it comes a lot when Gandalf, who's a who's a a good wizard who's on Frodo's side, um, tells Frodo kind of about the history of the ring and kind of where it's come from. Um, and in addition, it, it appears a lot when Gollum talks about, he calls the ring his precious, um, when yeah. he talks about the precious, um, that, that comes a lot. And it generally doesn't come as much when people are thinking about doing evil things. That's a lot of kind of the nails on the chalkboard, um, you know, ear piercing kind of, I don't, I don't know if that's violin back and forth very quickly, but it's, um... But that is more of when people are doing evil things, that's a different theme. Yeah. Um, I think the, 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 this theme is more of kind of when people talk about the ring as an idea and the history of the ring and um, kind of it, it shows the, the burden that the ring has on people. Yeah. So just going through the actual movies, we hear it a fair amount in The Fellowship. We hear it at the very beginning of the first movie talking about the creation of the ring. So that goes along with your history idea. And we hear it when... Um, Isildur, this character who initially comes into the the possession of the ring, he gets. They say he gets betrayed by the ring, um, where that's what leads to his demise. And so we hear it when they're talking about how the ring betrayed Isildur. We don't hear it when like stuff happens, like Bilbo pits, puts it on to escape, or when he doesn't want to give the ring over to Gandalf. So we don't hear it in those instances. But then. When Gandalf gives Frodo the ring from Bilbo, we hear it. It's kind of the ring is being passed to its next keeper. And you mentioned Gandalf. When he says Sauron is seeking it, it yearns to return to the hand of its master. We hear that motif. And similarly, Gollum, there's a very faint iteration at the end of the movie where he says, the precious wants to go back to him, but we can't let him have it. So maybe it has something to do with this kind of will that the ring is assert. The will wants to go back to Sar. The, the ring wants to go back to Sauron, but it also wants to stay in the hands of its possessors. Um, so two towers, we basically didn't get anything, right? Yeah, not very much. Just very faintly at the end. Very um, end. When yeah. Gollum, when Gollum says he decides he's going to kill them and get the precious back for himself, we hear very quickly the ring motif comes back um but yeah but i think you make a good point it's kind of i think it's more just about this idea of the ring is kind of consuming people but then again there's this aspect of the ring isn't theirs yet but they have it yeah um, and adherence kind of go back to something so they're in extreme danger yeah um, when you hear that ring motif so then in the return of the king the third movie we we get a few more uses when Smeagol's brother finds the ring and he actually sees it for the first time, we hear it there. So it's again like someone 
kind of coming into possession of it or being captivated by it. And this is in a flashback where yeah. um, of the scene where Smeagol kills his brother. Right. Yeah, when... Then there's one, there's a bad usage as far as I'm concerned when Frodo's just kind of sick at sitting looking at the ring. I don't know what we're supposed to take from that because there's, there's a moment where he's just kind of sitting and admiring it and it, it tells us that it has a grip over him, but I don't know. Then, so there's this moment when Gollum, they're climbing these stairs and they're exhausted and Gollum holds out his hand and it seems like he's helping Frodo, but we can see that he's actually looking at the ring and he wants it back. And in that moment, I think it's a very effective use of the leitmotif where we can see, okay, he wants this to come back into his possession. Yeah, and it turns out actually in that scene, nothing inherently bad happens because Sam shows up and Sam in the movie is not very trusting of um, this, this character, Gollum. And so when Sam sees Gollum, he helps him up. But I think if it had been a scene where Gollum was going to push Frodo off a mountain or something like that, we would have heard the nails on the chalkboard, right. the uh, the different theme. But it, it, you know, you know, kind of that nothing inherently bad is going to happen when you hear this right thing. now, but later, yeah, but later, but later. And so it's it's a more like long term, uh, sinister theme. Then we noticed a really interesting use. There's one very one moment. When Frodo runs into Mount Doom, when he's going to destroy the ring, and we hear this, very different. So we hear this kind of major version of the ring. That's the only time we hear that. And so just for a sec, it's like, okay, we've changed this motif. Maybe actually we're going to reverse this the course of this this uh, events, or this is the one thing that's going to change the fatalism of the ring yearning to go back to its master. And then, of course, at the very end, we hear it, uh, or at the very end of this this saga with the ring, we hear it when Gollum finally gets the ring back, and he's in Mount Doom, and he's just sitting looking at it for the last time, and it's like, okay, this was the... This was the faded end result. Gollum was going to come back in possession of the ring and then it's going to be destroyed. But I think we actually hear it, if I'm not mistaken, when that exact moment comes, we see Frodo walking towards him yeah. to try to push him off of the yeah. the mountain or get the ring back. I think that's his intention. and So it's kind of... There for me, it was sort of like the ring has a hold on both of these people. Interesting, that's yeah. That, that's what it, that's that interesting for me. So because if if our listeners know that scene, Frodo is still he's he doesn't actually want to give up the ring in a way because it's taken a grip over him too. He gets to the edge, he can throw it in, and he doesn't. Um, and so that's a good. I like that call. So that's that motif. We actually hear it less than I would have expected, given how how well I knew that that actual motif. So I was surprised to find that it comes like literally, I think one time in the entire Two Towers movie, which is like four hours yeah. long. Um, and just not not all the time when you think it would. So it's definitely used as a light motif, but used specifically. And so then the other one we tracked was that of the Shire. And 
What would you say, because it's the theme of the Shire, but I think it also represents a more important concept because it's used all over the place. So what would you say this one is? So I think, I think you know, it is it is the theme of the Shire. Whenever they're in the Shire, you very clearly hear, um, you know, this fun, happy pastoral scene as we were talking about earlier. But it's used a lot when they're, when Frodo and Sam are trapped in difficult situations and they're kind of trying to make the best of it or they're trying to kind of think about um, the good side of their journey when there's a lot of bad. And for me, it's it, it kind of signifies like, you know, they're coming into contact with a lot of these very unsavory evil people and this Shire theme is just kind of a theme of like goodness and, and you know, good memories. Yeah. I, I also associate it with some sort of kind of nostalgia or... Um, missing home because they they go away from home and there's this whole thing Sam has never stepped outside of the Shire before and they go on this long journey and so we hear it in all those moments where they like yearn to be home or something like that let's listen to the the Shire theme which also I think will be very recognizable to our our more uh, our more Lord of the Rings familiar listeners here So there is the Shire theme. It's got this kind of Irish jig-esque m- melody to it. Great theme. So we hear that, of course, in the beginning uh, when we're introduced to the Shire. Um, and then we hear it in all these moments, you know, when Bilbo leaves the Shire, when Gandalf is looking at Frodo before Frodo leaves, when Frodo is reunited with Bilbo at this place called Rivendell with the elves. When Sam volunteers to go along with Frodo on this journey, which just seems like something that he shouldn't have, but again, it's that idea that he's like going far away from home. Um, Gandalf tells Frodo that he's meant to have the ring. They're in this tough situation in this mine of Moria, but he tells him that he's meant to have the ring, and we hear that Shire theme in the middle of all this like battle. Um, then Sam wants to follow Frodo. Frodo tries to escape by himself, to take the ring by himself, and of course Sam goes with him, and we hear it there. Um, and then we hear it, we also hear it like hinted at a lot of times, like in the Two Towers. Um, they, they're at this place called Osgiliath, and they say they're not supposed to be there, and it gets hinted at in a very leitmotivic way. We just hear... But that's it. But we know that's kind of the Shire. There's this big scene at the end of Two Towers where he's, Sam is talking about, you know, there's still some good worth fighting for in the world, and anytime there's something like that, we hear it. Um, and then there's all this stuff, I mean, we hear it We hear it at the end of Return of the King. Um, there's, there's moments like in big battles where Sam is saying, like, this one's for Frodo, and he runs into this arena of a bunch of orcs when Frodo has been captured and he's fighting them and it's supposed to be loud but we hear the Shire theme there so yeah I think that one is a great use and that one is used a ton and it's really um, 
what would you what what's your takeaway from from that one i think it just it, it signifies obviously a lot of nostalgia i think there's also kind of a friendship element to it because we see it a lot when um whenever Fro- obviously this is a very fraught journey and frodo and sam have a lot of you know difficulties along the way because frodo is being consumed by this ring and he's turning into a different person but whenever kind of frodo turns back into himself um, and we see kind of the friendship between Frodo and Sam, th- there's going to be a shire motif, yeah. kind of generally. So, um, you know, I, I think friendship is absolutely a big part of it, obviously. Um, hearkening back to their, you know, their days in the shire, you're obviously you're going to hear a shire motif every time. Um, and then I just think, you know, when they're when they're homesick, as you said, it's, it's kind of like a homesick massage. Yeah. Yeah, motif. I think it's a great... Uh illustration of something that can be both a theme and a leitmotif and how it can cue us to to recall other scenes from the movie. I mean, we were noticing, for example, the power of these leitmotifs. Um, for example, you, you have incredible memory recall across these movies, if you've seen them once or twice, to other scenes that the music is pointing you to. Like, we noticed there's this scene where Gandalf is trapped and this eagle shows up to save him and there's this kind of textless singing that goes on that sings this melody it goes and then we were starting to notice that music comes you know it'll be three hours later but that music will come when some other when the rohan riders show up to rescue gondor in this big final battle or when the eagles re-show up to rescue um, people from Mordor. I mean, and that is an, these leitmotifs have incredible power to, to remind us of what has happened before and, and what's going to come across like super long spans of time. And I think we saw that in rewatching with this close eye for, for the music in, in Lord of the Rings. And there's also all these cool musical transformations that Howard Shore uses. Like, we've pointed to a couple of them, but, for example, also this Mordor motif. When Mordor is finally destroyed, of course, when we hear this most of the time, it's in minor. It's... But when Mordor is actually destroyed, it goes to major, and we hear... Oops. And he's added this kind of majorization of the Mordor theme this one time and so all of these musical transformations also work incredibly well I think so my impression is that I actually I don't think it's quite on the level of just a kind of this incredible level of technical compositional skill and ability to weave the thing about Wagner is that he can put five leitmotifs on top of one another and make this like and we'll see it as we get further along. Like the final scene of Götterdammerung is just this clinic of wedding all of these leitmotifs together. But I think that Lord of the Rings soundtrack, in addition to being great music, uses this Wagnerian technique super well. So any any last thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I would I would recommend to all of our audience if they have the chance to uh, go and watch the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, the books are excellent too. Um, they're pretty long. Um, so it'll definitely be, you know, for the long haul if you want to read the books as well and for the movies. But I, I, they're well worth it. They're awesome. 
Um, and I'm sure the ring is as well. I can't really speak as much to the, the ring cycle. Jacob is the expert here on that. Um, but yeah, but definitely it's, it, it's a, it was interesting kind of paying attention to the music this time around as opposed to the plot. So I think if our audience can remember always to kind of keep an eye, you know, keep an ear out more for the, the soundtrack and kind of what's going on, it'll, it'll create a more full experience of the movies. I think you'll notice how profound an impact uh, the soundtrack of a movie actually has. And so I think that's, that's great. Are you telling me that you haven't listened to every episode of the uh, Ring Cycle Review so far? Is that what I'm hearing from yes, you? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got to get on that. Got to get on that. I will. I have to be a better patron. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you, you do need to be a better patron. Yes. I'm just kidding. So, in any case, thanks so much for joining us, Josh. As always, you've broken down the, the Lord of the Rings for us incredibly effectively here. And for all of our listeners, we will be back soon with more Sparknotes reviews of the rest of the ring cycle. So I hope everybody is staying safe and healthy, and we will be back soon. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Bye.